AI with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. and welcome to the RoboHub podcast. Today we've got something rather special for you because today's interview is different than most of our usual interviews. Today we discuss how a large company called Salesforce is using artificial intelligence to help people understand and make decisions from data. Our interview Audrey spoke to Amruta Moktali, VP of Product Management at Salesforce Analytics, about the company's analytic and artificial intelligence software. They discussed the data pipeline, how data is processed, for example, how the software deals with noise, and how insights are identified. She also talks about how dimensions in the data can be controlled for, such as gender or zip code, to avoid bias, and how other dimensions can be selected as actionable so Salesforce can make recommendations, and how they use interpretable methods so that these recommendations can be explained. Finally, Moktali also tells us more about her professional path, including transferring from computer engineering and computer science to product management and her experience with intrapreneurship, that's starting an endeavor within a large organization such as Salesforce. Hi, welcome to RoboHub. Thank you. Hi, how are you doing? Doing well. Would you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, so I'm Amruta Moktali. I'm a VP of product for Einstein Analytics at Salesforce. I've been at Salesforce for about uh, over six years now and mainly focus on our analytics product, augmenting it with a bunch of AI. Mm -hmm. Would you tell me a bit about Salesforce and then Salesforce sure. Analytics? Sure. So Salesforce, uh, you know, for people who don't know it, is the number one CRM. We've been in the market for about... What is CRM? Uh, Uh, customer relationship management tool. So in any business um, in the enterprise, a big part of the business is associated with how you interact with your customers. And the goal of what Salesforce does is helping our customers interact with their customers better. And customer relationship management traditionally is known as that tool. So that's where Salesforce started from is, you know, how you interact with your customer in in you know enterprise terms, it's going from like lead to opportunity to converting to a customer, managing that relationship. Hmm. But uh, over time, Salesforce has evolved into this company where we have products that helps enterprises do business at any level, from your sales uh, teams to your service teams in terms of how you're supporting your customers, to uh, marketing your product with our marketing cloud pieces, to commerce where you know you're going from a business to business, which we call a B2B market, to a business to consumer, which we call a B2C market, which is like, you know, a retail or something. So Salesforce now covers the plethora of all the tools that a business might need to help serve their customers better. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what is, what, so what does Salesforce Analytics do? Um, so Salesforce Analytics is one of the key tools of Salesforce because what it is, is AI and analytics for every business process. And um, think about any business, right? Any business has questions. Any person in any business has questions. What happened? What is go why did it happen? 
what will happen and what are you going to do about it? And these four questions in an analytical term translate to declarative, descriptive, predictive, and prescriptive. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is what Salesforce Analytics lets a customer do, which is based on all the data and all the interactions that they are having, we are able to give them information and insights based on that data, which help them answer those four questions. Okay. So what does it look like from a person who's using Salesforce Analytics perspective? So there are different ways um, a person could use Salesforce Analytics, right? So what we uh, ask people to do is not have analytics be an afterthought Mm. because analytics helps people make decisions because at the core, you need to be able to make data-driven decisions. Mm -hmm. So for a Salesforce user, for instance, what uh, we recommend is as a person is looking at a business tool, Mm -hmm. I mean, for a regular person, it could even be something like an email, right? But in the business world, it is like they're looking at their opportunities or their accounts. Analytics shows up right there in in line with the, what they're trying to do, mm-hmm. giving them that information so they can make that informed decision. So that's how analytics would look like. And of course, there's like dashboards, there's charts, there's KPIs mm-hmm. that they can drill down into. But at the end of the day, it's embedded within their business interface to help make that decision. Gotcha. So it's going to be a relevant set of charts or something that helps them see relationships between things so that they can make decisions? Correct. It's, uh, and as time grows, it's not only charts because analytics is evolving. Um, what other things is it besides charts? So it's, um, so imagine charts, graphs, like all these charts, graphs, dashboards that is there. I mean, any analytical tool, that's what you will get, but you want to think of where it's going. Uh, conversational things it is it's conversational it is ai it is data coming to you rather than you going to the data it's Mm -hmm. ai driven insights which we call augmented analytics Mm -hmm. where you know the ai is going through all your data and giving you insights right there giving you recommendations of what you should do next rather than you having to look at a dashboard and drill in and find that answer so there are multiple different things but uh, And we'll get more into that later. Uh, Would you tell me, where do you get the data from? So where does a customer get their data? So uh, the customer gets data from multiple places. So of course they get data from Salesforce, Mm -hmm. but they also get data from several different systems on their side. So they could have their own homegrown databases where they're storing data. They could have data sitting in other clouds, like, you know, it could be Redshift, it could be AWS. So they can get data from anywhere. But And then what, like, give me some examples of this data. What kind of things is it? So um, I'll give you an example, right? So for instance, I'll give you a customer example. So we have a customer called Palo Alto Networks, which is a high cybersecurity company. And uh, what they do is they do their sales pipeline management. And for that, they have some data sitting in Salesforce, some data sitting somewhere else. And um, which is just their quota data or their margin data, any augmented revenue data that goes in. So they pull all this data together and create a unified view for their pipeline. And then that helps them understand, you know, how does the pipeline relate to what sales am I having and how making it more actionable. So that's kind of one example. Additionally, there are like other data sources. So, for instance, another customer of ours is a recruiting company called Robert Huff. Mm -hmm. And none of their data is in Salesforce, right? Because this is all recruiting data. 
and uh, they are actually using uh, Einstein our AI pieces of Einstein analytics to be able to figure out who they should talk to hmm. for which role, right? Because a uh, recruiting company needs that information. So those are just certain things, you know, applications of how just multiple data can come in. And we work with customers in every industry. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, manufacturing, healthcare, HR, okay. how so they get data from everywhere. So with all these different sources of data, how does it work to set them up? I guess, so you have all of these different ways of importing data from various standard types. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? So I mean, uh, given any database format, you basically can use mm-hmm. it? Correct. It's a, basically when in any kind of analytical world, there's something called an ETL process, ETL? which is ETL, extract, transform, and load. Oh, so I you see. extract sure. the data from wherever it is, you mm-hmm. transform it to how you want to use it, and then you load it into a system. So it's a standard to process, process and do something. Correct, correct. So that's basically the whole ETL pipeline that we have in Einstein Analytics, gotcha. with which you can just connect to any source, transform it, pull it in, and then do further analysis on it. Mm-hmm. Are there any sources of data that are often very noisy? There are, and that's where the transformation pieces come in. So okay. most can data. Can you tell me a bit about it? Sure. So, for instance, a lot of times, even the most basic data sources, say, let's take an example of, uh, um, say, you're even looking at what products you've sold in what regions, right? And a lot of times what happens is either people don't enter information or the information that they enter might be wrong. Mm. And that's when you pull it in, you transform them. And that's when you uh, we give you heuristics in terms of, hey, this is how much data you have in this column. Mm-hmm. This is what the distribution of that data is. And sometimes you even want to bucket things. So, for instance, some person may type in United States as a full word. Someone may say USA. Oh, someone I see. Say US. You relate them. You say these so are all the same. You can just, like, bundle all those things together while you're transforming that data. So then you just get those tools. Mm-hmm. And uh, the cool part about this is when you're pulling your data in and you're preparing it to do analytics, mm-hmm. it is a little different when you're preparing it for analytics versus you're preparing it for AI. And what we do is when you're preparing, you're pulling your data in and preparing it for AI, we do some detection while you're pulling it in. We tell you, hey, you know what? There's this um, columns you've chosen, but it hardly has any data. You may not want to use it Hmm. because then you're not going to get any signal from it. Yes. So those are the things that we automatically do within the tool. So we tell you, hey, so many rows are repeated. This column doesn't have any data. Do you want to drop it? Do you want to keep it? Do you want to bring in different data? So those are things we do to help customers prepare the data for AI analytics as well. Okay. Would you tell me a bit about the difference between the analytics and AI? Sure. So when you're doing uh, basic analytics, which all these traditional systems uh, used to do, Mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're pulling your data in. Think of it as a huge table of Mm -hmm. data. And you're running queries on it to figure out, you know, what it could be like, you know, rank these people looking at the top, bottom, then you're doing a bunch of math on it. And uh, you're visualizing them in dashboards. That is what analytics is. Then when you do AI on it. Just for, um, what is the math that you're doing? Is it just mean or? You're doing tons of. You're doing mean, median, percentile. Statistics. Statistic. You can do Erlang formulas. You're yeah. doing forecasting. 
you're doing all sorts of math formulas you can think of. You're doing year over gotcha. year. You're doing windowing functions, all, all that stuff. Okay. And then how does this, and then AI? So when you're doing AI, you're taking, you're basically taking that same data mm -hmm. and you're running an algorithm on top of it. So, uh, for example, say you take, uh, you're doing, I mean, what we do is what we call piecewise linear, which is linear regression um, in terms of algorithm, uh, in algorithmic terms. So there's a bunch of different algorithms, like you can use random forest and all that stuff. Yes. But our, our end in the back end, we do something called uh, piecewise linear where you're not really doing direct math, but what you're doing is in this algorithm, it's, uh, it's looking for different patterns. Mm -hmm. It's looking for correlations and different yeah. patterns based on that algorithm. And then the output of that is recommendations. It's not like a... Yeah, so you develop a function, basically. Right. And then you use this function to say, we can do this to maximize whatever it is. Exactly. exactly. Okay, but so... Um, in the case that you're doing regression, are you, um, is it supervised in any sense or how do you, how, so how do you formulate it? Yeah. So currently it is unsupervised. Okay. Uh, it's a mix. You're just trying to describe it basically. We're trying to describe okay. it. So it's unsupervised. We're trying to describe it. And through that process, we also give feedback to the user because when we get the output, we say, Hey, you know, we did it on this. But here are some uh, outliers. Here are some, you know, mm -hmm. uh, commonalities, differences, all those things. And we let the user take the action on that. Wow. So it's kind That's of... the analytics you're saying, correct? Yeah. So it's, it's the AI analytics kind of mix, which is why I said, you know, what Salesforce analytics is, is AI mix. and analytics for every business process because you can't think of them differently anymore. No. Yeah. They, it's just different. It's exactly. tools. The, yeah, the artificial intelligence is just a set of tools. Yes. Okay. And so that might be other unsupervised methods like mm -hmm. principal component analysis to figure out what is most important. Or yeah. maybe you do clustering to identify relationships Correct. between different Correct. things. Correct. Clustering, classification. Because traditionally, if you think of like, for instance, in the service space, right, you're going mm -hmm. to do a bunch of clustering. You get a bunch of cases and then you're going to have to do some clustering pieces to classify pieces in different buckets. So all these things go out in the back, go on in the back end. How do you choose what tools to use? So you have all this data, but then how do you figure out what would give you a good representation for making whatever decision you want to make? So there are a couple of things we do there. So we don't think of tools. We think of outcomes. So okay. when a business user is, so what we have in, in, our, in the world that I'm in is something called Einstein discovery. Mm-hmm. And uh, what Einstein discovery does is when a customer is thinking of an outcome, say I want to maximize my margin, mm -hmm. uh, or for instance, you know, there was a bank, uh, there's, you know, U.S. bank, right? They are a wealth management company. They have people serving maybe 500, 600 clients, right? Mm -hmm. And what their goal was to figure out how can I maximize my retention, and mm. when you're serving 500 clients, how do you know them? Like, what should I do for this client? What should I not do for this client? So there is always an outcome. And then when they pump their data through Einstein Discovery and choose the outcome KPI, what we do is, and this is one of the reasons that, you know, uh, I'm super proud of uh, this product because nobody else can do this in the market, is we figure out the patterns. And without the business user or a data analyst doing uh -huh. anything, we are able to come up with a bunch of recommendations. And uh, there's a key part here is there's no bias. 
Because well, other than in taking the data, because the data okay. could be biased. But other it, than that, I'm glad unbiased. you asked it. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question about data bias because what we're doing is in order to uh, act on that in um, you know moving forward, you'll see us do a couple of things where we will have the user define the data in a way where we say, hey, you know, gender, it's a protected field. Race, it's protected. So that there's no bias in the data. Oh, you and control for it, for we these can, things. We'll right. have control for that. And then we will add some intelligence on top of it and say, hey, you know what? You said gender and race is biased, but you also have zip code. And we'll give them a warning saying that's also a bias that you maybe probably want to remove. So we are being very conscious of it because, you know, and I'll go back to Salesforce here because, you know, trust is one of our biggest values in Salesforce. Mm. And as AI comes forward, I think um, transparency is going to be extremely important for people to be trusting any AI outcomes. Mm -hmm. Because even if you go in any businesses today, right, um, if you go to them and say, hey, the machines told you something to do and you have to do it. You need the justification. Uh, yeah. It's very difficult for them to trust it. And I think all this removing of bias, giving them an explanation of why I'm recommending something, it becomes very important. Mm -hmm. now, and those are some things to keep in mind when anyone's doing definitely. these. So, if you, um, so say you make a recommendation mm -hmm. and then um, the customer wants some sort of explanation of why that recommendation is made. Yeah. Um, I suppose you can go back and you can look at whatever method you're doing and saying this is how we decide this. this does this limit the methods that you can use? Um, so, for example, it's really difficult to explain things with using neural networks because mm -hmm. um, we don't really know about the features that form and everything. Does this, so do you use, so like principal component analysis is a bit easier to interpret. Do you use methods that are easier to interpret? Mm -hmm. rather than um, ones that are possibly more expressive but more opaque? Correct. Uh, so when it's not about what we use, it kind of is a function of where we apply it. So if you look at the kind of analysis that we are doing and the business processes we are applying it to, um, the neural network explanation does not come into picture. And I'll give you an example, right? So one of the most common places uh, we apply the outcomes of AI would be hey, I'm predicting CSAT, I'm predicting your margin, I'm predicting churn. Okay. And as we are doing that, we give explanations every single time. It's not an option. It just happens with the tool. So we don't just give you a score or a dollar amount. So Can if you, I'm telling you, hey, the CSAT's going to be 100, I'll give you why. And then I'll give you some prescriptions on it also. I'll say, hey, you can improve it even further by doing X, Y, Z. Because we have the ability to... Uh, define something that we call as actionable variables. Okay. So when you're starting to run your um, your analysis, we have the ability for you to define saying, hey, you have these, whatever, 20 fields. Cool. Out of these 20 fields, which one is an actionable variable? So that's mm -hmm. what the algorithm is going to look at and give you recommendations on because I can't change the gender of a person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are just certain actionable variables that I have. Gotcha. Okay, that sounds very interesting. So you specify these actionable fields, but it all fundamentally comes down to a good regression or something. Right. So you yes. have this and you use this to make predictions because you have a good... 
understanding of the relationships between a lot of variables. Correct. And so it's basically you're just like trying to find a local minima or a maxima depending on what you're doing. If you're trying to maximize profit, you try to find a maxima. Um, and then so what you do is you say that this variable seems significant in that. Is it correct? Correct. It's a little more complicated than that, and I'm, I'm not the engineer, so I'm not going to go into too much details, but it is basically just doing that on a vast data set and a vast data, mm -hmm. and just surfacing all these statistically significant pieces and gotcha. the correlations between them. Okay. How do you... Um, so if I have an actionable variable, but I don't have that much data in it, mm -hmm. um, how do you assess the confidence... Or what do you do? You do anything about the confidence of your recommendation? Yes, we do. So when we don't see a lot of data behind anything, or I it mean, could be noisy and the relationship could be, could be unclear, anything, whatever it could be. Whatever it could be, we actually uh, so visually when we show this data, we will gray that out. It'll be like a gray bar, mm -hmm. which means that we have some information, but we don't think we had enough data to be very confident about it. Mm -hmm. So it's up to you, user, if you want to use it or not. But we gray it out saying that, hey, we don't have enough data about this. It's not gotcha. statistically significant. Okay. How do you, so statistically significant, do you do like a T-test or something? Yes, you, yes. Oh. There are a bunch of T-tests and K-means tests and everything. And we give out the gotcha. results of those tests on... So you say it's practice. under 0.01 or something Correct. like this. You Correct. actually tell them the value of the T-test? Yes. T yes. Gotcha. So basically with every model, we run tests, we give them the results because at the end of the day, we just want them to keep trying different things and mm -hmm. use what has a good result because, you know, we don't know. They know their business better. Gotcha. Now, so one thing that's really interesting to me, this is for a wide group of people with a wide, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, different, uh, different sets of backgrounds. Correct. How do you make a tool that works for people that are in marketing, <laughs> management, engineering, whatever else? Uh, like, just tell yes. me a bit about its design. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I don't think I can go into too much detail of the design because it came from an acquisition. So we acquired a company called Beyond Core about two years ago, mm -hmm. and uh, that is what we are using for this. So our, um, the founder of the company like was working on this for eight to ten years, hmm. and uh, so the it's goal, pretty mature with it that is pretty, about how to relay correct. information to people. Correct, correct, and I think that's where all the tech is from is how they've been able to generalize this to work on anything. And at the, at the crux of it, the algorithm does not know a business use case. Yeah, so if of course. You it, right? and, and that's the generalization of the, um, of the engine. Mm -hmm. And it's basically creating these models for based on different use cases, just not knowing specifics. Mm -hmm. and and you, that's as much as I can, you know. Yeah, but then so for displaying these things, you basically have ways that are intuitive to how right. we think so that someone doesn't have to understand the idea of a t-test exactly. or any of these complicated algorithms that we've been discussing. Yeah. Okay. Now, and, uh, oh, go and ahead. there's some natural language generation with it too, because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, what happens is oh, the big to make it clear. Okay. Correct. Because a lot of problems that happen is the data scientist takes such a lot of time to develop all these analysis and then they spend the same or more amount of time building these slides or trying to explain it to the business users. Mm -hmm. I think the crux of it is when we give out these recommendations, we do some natural language generation associated with that too. So it's very easy for people to read and understand mm -hmm. what is actually happening rather than interpretation of a chart. Gotcha. So I want to talk more about the natural language generation in a little bit. But mm -hmm. um, 
I just want to see if I understand correctly. So it seems to me like a lot of what Salesforce Analytics does is they are, in data science in general, there seems to be a lot of art for pulling out the correct, pulling out relationships between different things. Yeah. And it seems like Salesforce Analytics has a fairly robust way that probably produces pretty good results when you just pass in data and it's going to try several different methods to analyze that data and it'll show you what it thinks is mm -hmm. most significant. So it's a bunch of established pipelines that have produced good results. Correct. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think okay. that's, that's pretty fair to say. Very interesting. Uh, so will you tell me a bit about the natural language generation? Sure. Um, I think the, the natural language generation is basically transcribing what output we give out with our Einstein discovery stories mm -hmm. into a natural language on the, you know, within, if I could show you a screen, it, it would have been easier, but it's basically look at a chart. And then if it says, Hey, you have, um, the impact of selling XYZ product with this, uh, distributor is higher in America versus Europe. And then why is that? That's because, you know, this product has these many issues and stuff like that. So it just describes the whys rather than just giving you a number. And uh, that's kind of the part of it. And there's another part of natural language that we have within our just product, which is... A quick is, question on that. Uh, how do you establish causality between uh, these things? How is the data structured in a way that you can say this is because of this yeah. rather than this is most likely because... Correct. So we don't give a very, uh, so I might have said it with a little more confidence saying this is why, ah. but we just give like, this is probably why these are the different correlations I see. and it's up to the business user to interpret that because a lot of times what happens is. So we see these I, factors as differences, correct. basically. Correct. We don't say that this is because of this. Exactly. Or, uh, and we just say like, this is why, but then it's up to, because a lot of times things come back to a customer and say, oh, this, uh, the reason, you know. A most obvious thing I can tell you is, you know, when they ran this analysis on health data, mm -hmm. they said, oh, 10% um, or maybe 100% of people in this group get pregnant. Why? Because they are female. So <laughs> it's, yeah. of, you know, it's an obvious thing, yeah. but uh, it's just for the business user to kind of understand it. And a lot of times users yeah. prefer that because they know their business better. So if I can say, hey, why, and there are these five different factors that the machine has come up with, it'll say, hey, factor three doesn't apply because I'm going to stop selling my product in that uh, space mm -hmm. or I'm going to stop selling this or gotcha. that product. So it's up to them to take it or leave it. Okay. So you just point out the things that okay. the machine identifies as the most okay. significant okay. and the user can assign it based on their own industry experience they can, they, causality. They can assign causality as they think okay. and go with their intuition when making Correct. business decisions. Correct. Okay, and you were going to continue saying something about the uh, natural language uh, generation? On the natural language, I think not on the generation side. Ah. The other thing we've done is on the query side. Mm -hmm. So we've also, you know, going in line with how analytics is going to start getting used and where our users are going, I think we're starting to get to a point where I call it uh, making analytics human again. Mm -hmm. Where it's Again, a lot did we ever have it? I don't think we had it, but uh, <laughs> just making it analytic. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of times when uh, we talk about democratizing data, democratizing AI, and we're seeing this big trend where, you know, uh, this analytics is going to transform the way the businesses are going to do their business further along, right? 
Uh And to do that, every business person is going to make data-driven decisions. And they don't need to know how to write a query. They shouldn't need to know, right? I shouldn't, Mm. as a business person, need to know, hey, select X from Y group by this to figure out what my year-over-year is. And I should just be able to say, hey, tell me um, what is my average price going to say or profits going to be next quarter or how do they compare to this quarter? So mm-hmm. that's all the natural language querying. So that is another aspect of uh, natural language that we put into the product. Ah, so that's it's like, if it, yeah. w- so is that similar to how like uh, with Wolfram Alpha, I can type in something on their website and say, well, how has the population of this changed over time? You have that kind of thing, but for their specific data? Correct. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. So that makes it very easy for business users to even... Uh, interact with analytics because otherwise they've just been shown these flat dashboards and they have to go interpret it. So that changes it. Nice. How do you um, figure out what they intend to be asking for or what kind of analytics method given mm-hmm. what they've asked for? So basically what we do is once uh, we do a suggested model. Mm-hmm. So because You know, when you go into the analytics world, things don't work the same way as they work in the web search world, right? Yeah, of Uh, course. You you can't just type any random thing. So what we do is we actually guide the user. So as you start typing, we'll start showing you suggestions of based on the data set and what's in your data, what are the things that you can look for? Mm -hmm. So it guides a user into what they can ask rather than just keeping on typing something and not getting anything back. Gotcha. Okay, and then, so just wondering a bit about, like, the back end of this. You kind of take what they ask and you parse it in a big tree kind of thing that whittles it down to what they actually want. And maybe if you're uncertain, you display a few things. Correct. So so we don't do displaying of a few things because in the analytics world, you want to be specific. It's Ah. not search where I can rank a bunch of results. Because I think Wolfram, they display lots of things as a way of being a catch-all. Yes, so we don't do that because in the business world that we don't do a catch-all because we have to be specific. So what we do is as we guide the user through the query, once it's done, we parse it through. So we parse it. You could do something like show me the top Uh, 10 accounts in um, New York. So the tree is in the query in a sense. In a sense, you could. Because in a normal search world, you could think of I type a sentence, I tokenize it, then I create an entity tree. Yes, so that's then what I was thinking at first. But no, it's not that way. No, it's not that way. You're guiding the token. You're yeah. guiding the things are entering I'm guiding the tree. by the so tree. Basically, as you type, I'm creating that tokenized tree for you. So then it's easy for me to translate that into a query. Because mm-hmm. I can't give seven answers to a business user on a question. It has to be very specific. Of course. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, can you tell me... So what is, I, I want to talk about you in just a second, but <laughs> wrapping up with Salesforce, Yeah. what do you think is the future of Salesforce in, say, the next two to five years? Salesforce in general or Salesforce analytics? Either. Either. Maybe the analytics as you're closer to it. Sure. Um, I think from a Salesforce analytics perspective, I think we're just going to democratize the way data and AI is consumed by businesses. Hmm. Because uh, we're going to change the way every business user works with augmenting analytics in every business process. So any user who's going in there is basically going to get insights shown to them 
and they can just quickly take actions. And in a weird way, you know, dashboards are going to become your secondary. I don't know what you mean. um, So think about it this way. Today you get a dashboard with a bunch of charts or whatever, and you're drilling in and finding your insights insights and you take an action. Think about a world where the whole thing gets reversed. Mm -hmm. What if I'm able to scour through all your data and when you come in in the morning, I can tell you five important things that you should do today. Mm-hmm. And then you say, oh, I drill into this. Or then you get the dashboard if you want to see details on the action. So it's That's kind it. of flipping the equation where you don't see the chart first. You see the insight first to yes. take an action. And then you have your dashboards and charts as details later. Cool. So it will be an interesting world, you know, uh-huh. uh, in the future to see all of that kind of switch. Let's see. So now what I'd like to get into is your professional career. And so um, can you tell me about going, uh, just, I guess, start with your background in computer science. Yeah. And then I'm curious of how you end up in leadership of a (laughs) large company. Yes. So I did start in, uh, so I did my bachelor's in computer engineering. And then I came on to do my master's in computer science. And uh, I actually got into computers to do graphic design. And then my life just took me in different places uh, because I did a bunch of, uh, you know, I did some AI back in the day, some object-oriented pieces. And then I uh, came to Microsoft. And in Microsoft, I was, uh, I started doing a bunch of things around identity. And that's when I made my foray into product management um, in Microsoft when I was there from being a developer to going into product management. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the cool things I did when I was there is um, I worked on Bing. Oh, cool. uh, Because one of the things that has always interested me and till date does is uh, information discovery. Mm. And that's what got me into search and machine. And I got into Bing when we acquired PowerSet uh, in the Silicon Valley. We did a bunch of machine learning stuff. And um, from there, it was it was just pretty natural. I was in the Valley and there was this really cool startup called Topsy Labs. And I was super interested in how the social world was kind of just blowing up, like Twitter was just blowing up. And that was just such a huge corpus of data. And uh, Topsy was a company at that point that was doing search based on social data. Hmm. So that's when I joined them as their first product person. Uh, We started doing a bunch of search on uh, Twitter and we were doing like, uh, you know, trending and figuring out who are the influencers. We were actually the company that actually uh, figured out who Gonim was with the Arab Springs, the first person oh, who yeah. sent the Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. And we also from there, you know, uh, started doing analytics as well. So it was it was interesting. I, I did that. And then, um, then I moved to Salesforce to actually build their social strategy. And of course, Topsy then uh, later got acquired by Apple and they power your spotlight search now hmm. uh, in Apple. And then when I moved to my uh, moved to Salesforce, I was doing platform. I did some CD uh, content management framework, and then we acquired this company called uh, EdSpring. And uh, as I said, you know, this data uh, information discovery was always interesting for me, and that was the first step that Salesforce was taking in analytics. And I was like, okay, why not? Let me jump on it. I've worked with startups in the past. You know, it's cool to kind of it was kind of a startup within Salesforce. And uh, that's how I got into the leadership position. It's just uh, I got in there. I kind of I've been with analytics since we founded the team, since we launched the product for four and a half years now. 
Wow. So uh, that's kind of my space, just going with my gut on what I like. (laughs) So how did, tell me a bit about the transition from computer science or computer engineering to product management. And really, what is product management? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So it it was an interesting transition. Uh, In fact, for me, it was weird because someone looked at me and said, you will be a great product manager. Hmm. And I didn't know what product management was when they did that to me. And um, basically what product management is, is having a vision around whatever area, whatever product that you're building and the ability to guide people to execute towards it. That's all it is. Hmm. It's like you need to have a point of view of how a product is going to be built, how users are going to use it. And you need to have what I call empathy for the user or the customer who's using it. You have to be able to understand that, which is why, you know, when you look at the market, you know, ideas are plenty, but creating a product that actually sells or gets used is more difficult because you need to be able to translate that idea and what they call an industry term productize technology. Mm. And I think that's, that's what it is. And the transition from developer to product manager is, I felt is easier because you understand tech so well. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for you to translate that into how a user will use it. Mm. And kind of picture picture that aspect. Gotcha. It's, a, it's a slight switch in your head, but you always stay grounded from your technology background in terms of what's possible and what's not. That's a big advantage, I imagine. It is a very big advantage because, you know, in a weird way, you know, developers also respect you when you talk to them and, you know, they know what you're talking about. But in other ways, also, it, it kind of knows your, helps you know the boundaries and where mm-hmm. you can push the boundaries. Definitely. So your expectations are realistic and what you're pushing your team towards. Correct. It's realistic. Correct. And, and it's very cool. I mean, as a developer, what do you like to do? You like to build cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And as a product manager, you get to build even cooler stuff. You just don't kind yeah. of do the nuts and bolts. You do the drawings, right? Yeah. And you have other people to help you build it. So gotcha. that. Okay. What advice do you have for someone who wants to follow a similar path? Um, I think the biggest advice I'll give people is... Um, Figure out what drives you. What are you passionate about? And because if you don't have passion in what you're working on, you'll never be good at what you're doing. And uh, don't give up. Because there have been times in my career that I've been like, oh my God, what am I doing? You know, why am I here? But I stuck it through. And uh, that's what you got to do. Because there's always ups and downs. And there's never a wrong choice. Try different things. If it doesn't work out, go back. But uh, don't not try. Take that risk. That's, that's the advice I would give people. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. And that's it from us for today. Remember, you can still support us to attend the International Conference on Intelligent Robots and Systems next month in Madrid by becoming a patron of the RoboHub podcast. Simply visit robohub.org forward slash podcast for more information and to access all our past episodes. We'll be back in two weeks time. Until then, goodbye. AI with RoboHub, the podcast for news 
and views on robotics.